and welcome to Overtime Hockey Talk. My name is Mark Paul. My co-host Justin Baker joining me as we begin the long-awaited Pacific Division preview for the 2022-23 NHL season, our fifth season. Is that right? Right? Fifth season? Yes, sir. Yeah, fifth. Okay. Our fifth Overtime Hockey Talk season. Uh, what's up, Justin? Hiya. <laughs> Hiya. <laughs> I feel like that's an AOL instant messenger response of like a hello hiya h-i-y-a right like yeah my my favorite uh which used to throw people back in the day but maybe that's why you know people never liked me that much but i used to say ahoy hoy <laughs> ahoy ahoy i saw it on the simpsons you know monty burns he's learning how to answer the phones for the first time and he picks it up and he's like ahoy hoy <laughs> <laughs> oh that's great was that your that was that your away message or was that just Dude, my away? away message was probably some Dave Matthews band lyric oh, or John no. Mayer lyric or something. Oh dear. Maybe Amberlynn if you want to get a little like emo indie rock with it, but sure, you know. sure. Some dashboard <laughs> or something like that. Oh gosh, Juliana Theory. <laughs> well, uh on that note, as we jump into the Pacific Division, uh, we'll just we'll kinda we're gonna do a better job at uh at letting you know what to expect here uh, on the on the program. Uh, we're going to go Calgary Flames, the Seattle Kraken, and then the Vegas Golden Knights and the Vancouver Canucks to close out first part of the Pacific Division preview. And then uh, the next show will hit Edmonton, Anaheim, L.A., and San Jose. But uh, before we do that, I just want to take a big picture look at this division. Uh, really, this was last year. I think going into the season was most certainly considered the weakest division in hockey. Uh, I I think I think that it was kind of like all right, it's going to be Vegas and Edmonton, and then who else? And you know, of course, our predictions were all thrown out the window, and Vegas didn't even make the playoffs, and Calgary won the division. L.A. shocks everyone and makes the playoffs. Uh, what do you see this division as now? Uh, in comparison to last year? Yeah, I mean, in comparison to last year, I think there are a couple teams now where you can legit say these are some Western Conference contenders, as in guys, you know, a team that could make it to the conference finals and have a legit shot. I mean, before it was all, you know, Vegas, and then maybe you could throw Edmonton in there uh, if Connor McDavid got hot at the right time, and then it was just all Central Division, right? Like, there was no... No shot at any of these teams really realistically. I, I thought that they, they couldn't get past St. Louis or Colorado in this, you know, in the central. Like there was no chance. Like it was it was the central or, or die, basically. Right. So now I look at this division and say, you know what, there's legit firepower in this Pacific the Pacific division that I could if they came out of the West, I would say, Okay, you know what? Not surprised at all the way these teams are growing, the way they're developing and and, uh, you know, the way they've kind of transformed this this division anymore. And it's not such a, a division anymore, especially with Arizona having moved on now, too, where you look at the bottom and you say, uh, you know, maybe outside of Seattle, and you say, you know what, this is an extremely weak bottom now. Yeah, right? there's outside of Seattle, there really isn't isn't like a bottom feeder type team. Whereas, yeah, you've got Arizona, you've got Chicago in the Central. So even though the Central is still really top-heavy, you do have two two teams that are going to be quite bad this year, uh, whereas the Pacific you really only have one. I mean, it, that's not to say that Anaheim isn't going to is going to be great or that San Jose is going to be very good, but 
I I think there's still something there where they're they're going to kind of be right where they were last year, right? Like that, like just a little below 500. They're not going to be terrible, but they're not going to be good either. Right. I kind of look at it like the Atlantic Division, like last year, right? We knew Montreal was going to be bad, but we also knew that Buffalo, Detroit, and Ottawa probably didn't have a chance. And now these teams in that division, right? Wait, wait, I, mean, wait, you- wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I don't know that we thought that Montreal was going to be this bad, right? Like there's no uh, way, no way anyone thought they well, would no, win 22 fi- games yeah, after being in the points. Stanley Cup finals a year before. But I... I knew they weren't going to be a playoff team. You did have them missing the playoffs. I had them yes. being a wild card, but yeah. And I, I, I think it's fair to say that most people had them at least as a playoff bubble team. Right, and I think now you look at the same thing with the Pacific Division, where you don't look at the Vancouver's, the Anaheim's, or Seattle's, and you say these are automatically going to be teams that are going to be, you know, missing the playoffs. Right, there's still a realistic chance in this division. I think you could probably make a case for most of these teams, you know, to say, okay, cool. Maybe outside of one, I think there's still a shot where one of these teams could get in. Okay. And it wouldn't yeah. shock me. Yeah. And, and that's what I like about this division, even though it still maybe doesn't have the, the same top end as the central, it's still stinking good. And I mean, the fact that, you know, it does have some of the two of the best players in the world, uh, granted on the same team, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think this year it's going to be, a a more competitive division than it was last year for sure. Uh, well, let let's jump into the Calgary Flames because they certainly were active in the off season. Probably made some of the uh, the bigger moves out of any team in the NHL. Definitely, I'd say the most shocking move of all with trading Matthew Kachuk, bringing in Huberdeau and Uyghur and signing Nazem Kadri. Uh, this is a team that is not giving up their moving right ahead and they're going to try and continue to contend for a Stanley cup. Uh, Where do you see this team in comparison to last year? Are they better, a little worse? Uh, Are they just different? What, what, where do you see this team? Well, first off, I see this team not having a line that's going to be the top, you know, plus minus line in the league anymore. Right. I mean, when you looked at Goudreau, Kachuk and Lindholm, I mean, they were all plus 57 or better, which is ridiculous right um those three guys just gelled so well and while i I still think they managed to replace those three you know kachuk and goudreau with some good talent i don't think you're going to have the same kind of line that's just going to dominate as far as you know the plus minus scale is concerned now on the flip side i think now you're going to see a team that's more more well balanced right where you can have you know your top six be you know pretty much interchangeable as far as where you throw pieces at right i mean you, you knew in, in last year in Calgary that Kachuk and Goudreau were on that top line. There was no no getting around it. They were they were the guys, right? But now maybe you look at a guy like Toffoli or, you know, again, you know, Huberto. You, you look at pieces where you could move them up and down in that top six to make, a, you know, two really good lines here. And I think you're going to see a little bit more competitiveness out of both of these lines where they, they go in and they can both produce almost as equally good, I think. Yeah, it'll be. It's definitely a different look because you're you're not looking towards one line and going, "Holy crap, we have to stop that line," and you're kind of ignoring the rest. This is this is much a much more. Let's kill them by committee. However, let's not forget that committee. Huberto had over a hundred points last year. Kadri had what eighty nine something like that. Uh, I mean, you're also Mackenzie Weegers, a top four defenseman. So you bring him into an already pretty stacked D 
And suddenly, I think the way that things are slotting, I mean, this team is, uh, they, they've got lots of depth on defense. And now I think they might be better poised to play the kind of game that Daryl Sutter wants to play. And that's a game that, of, of course, they're going to attack and they're going to use their forecheck, but they are, they're going to play that 1 3 1 and they're going to stifle you up the middle and it's going to be, uh, just brutal trying to get to get to the net and make plays on this team. I mean, their defense is so good. They have multiple. They they've got like a shutdown defenseman on every single on right. on every single pairing, which is ridiculous. Usually, you don't see that. You don't see guys that uh, that you you almost like you fear coming in like I mean the fact that the Flames can drop Tanev on one one pairing Uyghur on another Zadorov like and then Shillington and and Rasmus Anderson Noah Hannafin being able to have a little more freedom I I just I think that this D is uh it might take a minute for to kind of figure out where Uyghur fits in but once they do uh I think it'll be an improved defense and that really may be what you need against Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl. Like, you're almost, if you're going to go and win the cup in the Pacific, you're probably going to end up playing the Edmonton Oilers. There's a good chance. Or the Vegas Golden Knights, right? Like, one of those two teams, you're going to you're gonna end up playing them if you go far uh, in this in this division. If you make it to the, at least the second round, you're probably going to play one of those two teams. And what's going to stop those teams? A really good defensive structure. And and you need good good body good players to be able to do that. So I I do like those moves for Calgary, and I think they they maybe don't win the division again. Like they were a very dynamic regular season team because of that top line, right? Like we saw the same thing. I'd say with like with Toronto, we saw the same thing. Uh, uh, just such a good top line, and things change come the play come playoff time because you can really hone in on those lines but in the regular season those lines can dominate and cruise uh you, you just don't have the same type of focus on one line in the regular season as you do in the playoffs it's sort of maybe some of the reason even though Florida got incredible depth they they had incredible scoring depth still their high end players were still by far their best line and they were all together and they were able to kind of shut them down so Maybe because of this, this team is actually better, but we'll have a worse regular season. You know, maybe they maybe they don't win the division. They end up in one of those two three slots and uh, and and just kind of work their way through that way and are a better playoff team and better prepared for that. Yeah, I don't think there's any expectation that they need to go out and win the division, right? Like they don't have to set those kind of um, they they can kind of play like Tampa Bay where they just want to get in, right? They want to take it easy not pressure themselves too much or push too hard because they just want to get in the playoffs and they know with their system and their, their coach, their goaltending, they don't, they don't need to, you know, be the number one seed to go in there. They can just walk in and just kind of play their game. And, and like you said, with, with an improved D and you know, the, the team they have up front a little bit more balanced now, it's, it's, sh- it should work pretty well now. Yeah. The and by the way, is, best, best road team in the Western conference last year. Right. And so here's the other thing now too, right? So, uh, my question is, you know, you had basically the only, you were the only team to have a line of 340 goal scorers uh, in the NHL last year. And they were obviously one of the, the top scoring teams in the league. But um, 
you know, my only concern for this team is now if you do get into another firefight with Edmonton and we saw what happened in game one against that series. And, you know, sadly, I was expecting that the whole entire season, but it didn't or the whole entire series, but oh, it didn't happen. That would have been wonderful. Uh, 1980s right. all over again. Exactly. Um, so my question is, if you're, you know, Calgary, if you have to start scoring goals to win a game and not play that defensive system anymore, and hopefully, you know, Calgary can stick to their game. You know, I'm, I'm interested to see who on this Calgary team steps up because we know Jonathan Huberto is typically a passer, right? He's a pass first kind of guy. Um, not to say that he couldn't score goals, um, but, you know, Kadri could be that guy, right? He could be a guy who could step up, but I'd like to see maybe who else really takes another step forward, right? Is it uh, a Dylan Dubé or, um, you know, gosh, you know, just Tyler Toffoli now that he get, gets a full season and, right, maybe he um, – Maybe he takes that next leap for for Calgary now. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Tyler Toffoli because uh, I think that I mean you're you're just two seasons removed in 2020 2021. Uh, Tyler Toffoli had 28 goals in 52 games. I mean he was lights out for Montreal. He was fantastic in the playoffs. Uh, and of course for you know for a bad Montreal team, he was he was still. He was still very good. He was a serviceable player. He was a good good player. And then for Calgary, of course, he uh, he had an okay playoff. Uh, I don't. It it's almost like they didn't really find a good spot for him. And I wonder if he gets a chance to either play the right side with Huberto uh, or with Kadri, like and or with Nazem Kadri uh, as his centerman. So it'll be interesting to see where he ends up because he certainly has the potential to score 30 goals. I, I don't think that he's over that hill yet where uh, he doesn't have the potential to be able to go out and score 30, maybe more, given the the firepower around him. He's never really had great line mates. Uh, I, I can't remember. When he was with L.A., was he playing with Andre Kopitar? I don't think he was. No, it was I, Dustin Brown and then, uh, gosh, what's his face in uh, Nashville? Uh, why, Arvidsson. I know he was, Arvidsson was playing with him for a while. Yeah, uh, yeah, but like 2017, 18. And Justin when, Williams. When he, uh, yeah, okay, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, Justin Williams was a little bit, a little further back than that, but I'm, I, because I, uh, Toffoli, I mean, he had like 24 goals in, in 17, 18, and. Uh, he's never been a huge point producer. Like 58 points is his best season. He had 31 goals. Uh, but certainly you put him with the right guys. I think that he can still he can still fire that puck and, and, and get to the net, uh, put the puck in it in the dirty area. So he'd be somebody that I'd be looking to to have a, maybe a, a little a career year here at, at age 30 for the Calgary Flames, Tyler Foley. Yeah, I could see a 30 and 30 type of season. 30 yeah. goals, 30 assists. No yeah, problem. Yeah, the other guy that I wonder about is uh, you know, Michael Backlund. He's he has been their second line center uh for for a, a minute now and really his whole career he's kind of been a second line center in in the way that he's been relied upon. Uh, I think that he actually moving down the lineup being the third line center potentially here is is maybe a an even better fit uh, for him if they if they choose to to play Lindholm at center and they they get Lindholm Kadri and Backlund I think that Backlund playing down the lineup a little bit could actually 
enhance his offensive abilities because he's not going against he's not the shutdown guy the same way that he would be uh, if he was in the top six so maybe he gets some more offensive opportunities maybe he uh, he gets close to the 20 goals he scored four years ago uh, but that'll be interesting he's in, he's a free agent at the end of this year too so those are the guys to always keep an eye on those UFAs on good teams those guys I mean you know he's got to be oh he's not a UFA I'm sorry he's got one more year left on his deal I was looking at uh, Lucic but anyways he you got to look at those guys thinking you know he's got two years left this is kind of that year to to see where he can uh, where he can enhance himself yeah yeah I think the third line center spot is going to be the right fit for him I think at this point in his career and what he brings to the table as far as offense and defense um, for me one player that I'm just excited to see because you talk about it right contract years uh, Mackenzie Weger. I mean, yes, he's you know he could pretty much slot in anywhere in this lineup as far as the the top six is concerned. And I personally would like to see him placed with Chris Tanev because I think he could add a nice balance to Mackenzie Weger's offensive abilities to where you can see Weger just go ham. And for him to put up fifty to sixty points would just not surprise me at all right now. Yeah, that'd be. I I can see it. I can see it. Um, you know, I I wonder. Rasmus Sand Rasmus not Rasmus Sandine sorry Rasmus Anderson uh, had 50 points last year. Uh, I think it's he was he's maybe that uh, that defenseman that it's it's kind of easy to to forget that he's a 50 point guy last year for 46 assists but he you know he goes out and he signs his his big deal uh, a couple of years ago and he's been definitely delivering uh, at four and a half million dollars for his cap hit and. Rasmus Anderson, I mean, now the question's got to be, can he repeat that? And does he have an even higher ceiling? Because before that, his career high was 22 points. And he went out and got 50. Uh, we'll see if he can keep on producing at a super high level. I mean, that, I think, by and large, has a lot to do with the Kachuk and Goudreau line blowing up. And, and he was somewhat the benefit of that. But I... He's proven that he can feed the puck and be in the right place at the right time. He's he's very good at at exiting the zone, and that's so important in this game. And so, you got to think uh, Rasmus Anderson is maybe that like unsung guy on the team, where he's he's just so important to this team, uh, and and yet maybe gets overlooked because of the other names on that blue line. Yeah, I, I mean, if you look at it right, the usage last year it was pretty much Anderson and Hannah. Hannafin together at least 32% of the time, uh, you know, throughout the game there. So when you look at that pairing and you think, okay, Hannafin put up 48 points, Anderson at 50, it's reasonable to think that those two guys are going to start camp together, start the season together as the top go-to pair. And so 40 points to me, at least, you know, out of these two guys here would not shock me at all. And, and, you know, with Uyghur coming in now, you're going to, you know, maybe see a dip in there, you know, those two players, they're, you know, maybe losing some power play time or, you know, not having to be out there all the time, you know, as the top offensive defenseman pairing, you know. So, you know, what that does for their production, I, I mean, yes, maybe it might dip a little bit, you know, a few points here or there, but I don't think it's going to drop too much. No, uh, they'll, they'll be playing top-line power power play minutes, I think. I think they'll still get that nod. I think Mackenzie Weir's probably going to slot in on power play number two, and uh, 
he, I mean, he's still going to get lots of time to play with very good players. You know, that's the right. That's the beauty of this is that there's there's a like you're still going to get time with with Blake Coleman and uh, depending on how they use these guys and split these guys up, you know, there's going to be a a couple really power lines on this team. But I don't know that they're the same high scoring team that they were last year. Not not to say that their offense is going to dry up or, or they're not going to be offensively talented. They were the, they were the top scoring team in this division. Uh, even like you know you wouldn't think that that this team would have more goals than the Edmonton Oilers and and you know there they were three more goals than them. Uh, I wonder if that kind of pulls back a little bit. Uh, I don't see their defense, their their goals against really changing much. Like I, I think they'll still be. They were they were tops in their division for goals for and goals against. So, or, or I should say, the best at at it. You know, right. bottom bottom of the division for goals against, but in a good way. Uh, I don't see that number changing, but I do see maybe the offense pulling back just a little bit in the regular season, uh, which which could again you know cost them some games. And and put them in a position to be in that three spot instead of the two, which I, I don't think you really care about too much uh, if you're the Calgary Flames. You just want to get in, and you know you're going to have to beat some good teams along the way, and I think you're in a good position to do to do so. I mean, we haven't even mentioned, no mention of Jacob Markstrom yet, <laughs> and he was fantastic for them all last year. Yeah, yeah, lights out goaltender. I mean, there's you know no reason why he he probably can't put up 55 to 63 more games this season. Um, I, I mean, maybe not the 9.22 save percentage again because that was a ridiculous number. But um, you know, hey, if he puts up 9.20, that that would not surprise me. The way this this Daryl Sutter team likes to play, um, you know, obviously he's just got to be a little bit better in the playoffs than he was last year. He wasn't terrible, but he wasn't great either. So. I think they need a little bit more out of him come playoff time. And, uh, you know, if they can get just a, a smidgen more, I think they'll be all right. Yeah, it was like they didn't need him to steal games, but they really could have used him to steal right. some games. Uh, I don't know that Calgary last year was going to gonna get through Edmonton. I, I Edmonton just seemed to, like, something happened in, in uh, was it game two? And uh, just didn't seem like it was going to happen for, <laughs> for Calgary after that point. Uh, but... The uh, the Calgary Flames are I mean they're in a good position to take this division and and to go deep in the playoffs. I'm curious uh, if you haven't listened to our previous Metropolitan Division preview, uh, we've been giving our kind of our ceiling and our floor for each of these teams. We're not we're not trying to uh, to give you the doom and gloom basement of everything, but the floor. You know, of course, every team has those moments where or not every team, but occasionally there's a team where so many guys get injured and they miss the playoffs, like the Vegas Golden Knights did last year. Um, we're not talking about that kind of season. We can't predict those types of things, but uh, we've been given our, our ceiling and our floor for each team. So, Justin, where do you have the ceiling for the Flames and, and the floor? Yeah, so real quick, one one name I forgot to mention that I think you know people should – Keep an eye out for that Sonny Milano. Uh, yes, I, I have his tab up here right now, and I, <laughs> yeah, I meant to bring him up, and and I you failed. Know. Yeah, what what uh, do you think he'll sign in Calgary? I do. I, I think there's there's a good opportunity for him to have some middle second line or third line minutes here because um, he could he can still produce offensively, and he's still got wheels, and he's young. So I think there's a, a good player still there that yeah, I think, he had you know, thirty four points like. last year, fourteen yeah. goals in sixty six games. I mean, this guy is. 
I, I mean, as far as his pace goes, he's basically a 20 goal scorer. Right. And, and you're going to get him. I mean, last year, his cap hit was 1.7 million. Uh, I, I'm thinking you're probably going to be able to get him for a million two, a million three. If that, maybe just a one and one. I mean, <laughs> yeah, one, literally. one times one. Yeah. And, and that's if Sonny Milano, uh, my guess is that he will, he'll get a contract offer from elsewhere, which can happen, you know, on a professional tryout. Uh, you can get contracts from any other team. You're still technically a free agent. You're basically just, you're playing for the, in the Flames training camp. Uh, but it would, I think, man, what great depth for the Flames to be able to have Sonny Milano added to this lineup. Like that was probably their, you know, maybe their biggest issue was that bottom six not producing and Sonny Milano can score. I don't know yep. why you wouldn't get him locked up quick. <laughs> I I don't know if there's any, if there's question marks about uh, whether he's healthy or, or what. I mean, I know he only played 66 games but last season, but he's had the entire offseason to get healthy. I haven't heard anything about that. So, um, obviously, some concern. Or their flames are just like, yeah, we don't have to give you a contract right now, and we can kind of ride this into and see if you're a good fit. If he's not a good fit in Calgary, you know, someone doesn't like him, I got to think another team's going to give him a deal. Like, this is not a player that you're just going to let go by the wayside. Right, absolutely. Okay, uh, give me your your floor and your ceiling. Yep, yep. As far as uh, the floor is concerned, I'll start there. Um, to me, I think this is just a wild card team. Um, looking at this division, right, there's L.A. getting better. Edmonton's getting better. Vegas is still there. Sure. Guys are getting healthy. So there's a potential. Vancouver has, has some yes. potential, too, to, to ruffle some feathers here in this division. Yeah, absolutely. So I still think they're a playoff team. But uh, worst case scenario for me is they just they make the wild card spot. Uh, and sneak in, which is all they really need to do. But I'm sure Daryl Sutter would feel more confident in that two or three spot. Uh, best case scenario, obviously, again, they they win this division. I think as well as they play defensively, and you know, as little goals as they give up, it, it'd be easy for them to to come in against a you know a division like this that doesn't have a lot of outside of Edmonton a lot of high scoring teams. Um, so you know, you could see Calgary easily take the division. And then, and of course, looking into the playoff picture. Their ceiling for me would be Western Conference Finals. I, I still uh, have my doubts. You know, if you got to get into a scoring match with, you know, a team like Colorado or, you know, maybe even St. Louis uh, on the other end. Of, yeah, Edmonton. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's tough, right? Uh, you know, maybe they don't have the same firepower as last year to, to be able to put up goals. So uh, to me, that's where I think their, their ceiling would end. Okay. Yeah. Uh, for a floor for me, you know, I've, I always try to go like what's what's like the the worst case and we'll go, and then go back from there and figure out like what's the true floor here like we're not you know we're not trying to go to hell with this team we're just trying to figure out uh you know if if things don't mesh right they're still a good team like I, I'm thinking you know what happens if uh if Huberto doesn't click with Sutter's system because he's used to a more loose system or what like what happens if uh, Mackenzie Weger just Again, same same deal. Like, just doesn't doesn't fit the culture. Doesn't fit. He's a free agent at the end of the year, and he just kind of goes like, "I can get out of here, and I'm going to go somewhere else at the end of the year." Anyways, um, I'm not I'm not putting in like trying to question anybody's competitiveness or anything like that, or like you know their character. I'm just saying that you don't know what the fit is going to be until they actually are out on the ice. And 
So th- those have to be concerned because concerns because they're replacing monsters of players. Like they are replacing Goudreau and Kachuk, the faces of the franchise. And so you you flip flopped, and Huberto was never the face in Florida. He was always the other guy, right? Like, and and he it wasn't. Whereas in Calgary it was Goudreau and Kachuk, but in Florida it's just Barkov. Like it's been Barkov and 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 Huberto was his little his little uh, sidekick. It's that's kind of the vibe that I always got. And so now he's here in Calgary. He's going to be the highest paid player next year once his deal new deal kicks in. They believe him to be a number one. Like I I got like the way they're paying him. He they see him as like the Patrick Kane that kind of guy. I mean he's. As uh, Panarin, like that type of player, the way that he's getting paid, he is Johnny Goudreau, like he's his replacement. So that could be difficult to play through early on, uh, especially if anything, you know, if they don't start the season super well, there's going to be a lot of criticism and it's going to get aimed at them. You know, that's there's just probably not much you're going to do about that. Uh, people are getting used to those guys being on their team, you know, and then uh, Nazem Kadri. I think I think will be a good fit, uh, but you can see the, you know they there's he's had some incidences in the past. I know he was a younger guy, but uh, Daryl Sutter's going to be a harder coach to play for than Jared Bednar in terms of that personality and the the crustiness and all that. So I I guess I just say the reason my my floor is maybe a little lower than yours, which is actually missing the playoffs, is that you there is a scenario where. All these new faces up at the top, just something doesn't isn't right, and uh, and because this division is actually getting much more competitive, and I think Vancouver's better. I think Vegas is certainly going to be better. L.A. is going to be at least as good as they were last year. Edmonton might be even better. Uh, they're going to get a full year of Kane. They've got Jack Campbell, a better goaltending. And Anaheim's probably going to be better. Seattle's probably going to be better. Maybe the only team that got a, a little worse is San Jose. But uh, I just want I you know my my floor is they miss the playoffs because all these moves just don't work. Uh, but my ceiling, they might have the biggest floor to ceiling because my my ceiling really I I think this team can win the Stanley Cup. I think they are one of the oh, wow. you know I I do think that they. I, I know. I mean, they have to get through either Colorado or they're gonna ha- and they're gonna have to get through Vegas, Edmonton, whoever they end up, up seeing in the divisional rounds. And uh, but because of their goaltending, because of Markstrom, and I think that you know those high end teams in the Central, some of them got worse, i.e. Colorado. Because hey, <laughs> Nazem Kadri, uh, you he's gone for free. You've got Georgiev instead of Kemper, which I think is a downgrade. You 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 have some downgrades with this team, so I think they are vulnerable. And I think that Calgary, with that defense, has the ability to maybe take that extra next step and ultimately make it to the Stanley Cup Finals and and maybe win it. So there's my ceiling. Uh, All right. All right, so we're going uh, f- from the true ceiling to the floor to the Seattle Kraken with our next preview. Uh, give me your thoughts on on Seattle coming into this year. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we we knew they weren't going to take the the Vegas approach last year, right? To basically trying to rob people of talent and draft picks. 
Um, so they went in with the mindset that, you know, hey, we're not going to be great right away. And uh, it showed, right? So obviously... They know, weren't even good about, right away. <laughs> right. But I will say they have now... Um, what excites me this year is we have the potential to see a future number one and two center on this team that I think could rival. Uh, I don't think they'll be as good as, you know, a Crosby Malkin, but I mean, this could be, you know, in the next three or four years could potentially be, you know, one of the top three or four, you know, one, two punches in the league. And that's with Shane Wright and Maddie Beneers here. I think those two guys, I mean, listen, Seattle got just blessed that everybody passed on Shane Wright in the draft and he fell to number four. I mean, what a, what a lucky thing to happen. Um, you know, I, I mean, gosh, Matty Beneers, I, I, watching him last year, nine points in 10 games, I thought this guy is going to be something special. And, and now you have the, you know, the guy who is, I mean, for the last few years was projected to be the number one overall pick and falls into your lap here. So to me, what I, what I see for this team is just, just growth this year and, and the opportunity to see these two young potential superstars really blossom. Yeah, I I am I'm, I'm not sure that Shane Wright is going to play for the Seattle Kraken this year. Uh I think a lot depends on his camp and uh, and how how well he like how mature he shows up. Uh Maddie sure. Beneers is a lock. He's in. He he's going to be this team's top line center or second line center, you know, wherever you want to slot him. He's he's their probably their their most talented center at this point. Uh whether he plays number 1 center um, I don't know. They might try to protect him a little bit, but uh, either way, he's he's going to have a, a good year. This is going to be his his true rookie season, and I mean, he's certainly going to be somebody who contends for rookie of the year uh, if he can put up, you know, that almost point per game pace. He's going to end up with seventy points uh, this next year, and he'll almost be a lock for rookie of the year at that point. So. It'll be interesting to see if he can keep that pace up. Uh, I I wonder if Shane Wright, if they go, eh, let's just send you back. I mean, he, he really he missed so much time in his development because of COVID and injuries that you just wonder if it would just be better, especially since they're not going to be that good uh, for him to spend some time in juniors. But you could also say, what's the point in sending a guy to juniors when he's already dominated juniors? Like, we know what he is. Uh, it's really the problem with the the agreement the NHL has with the OHL and the AHL that like you know because he played in the OHL he can't go to the AHL this year at eighteen you have to wait till they're twenty so it's so stupid <laughs> it, it's it's dumb because the it it hurts the NHL in my mind I mean I I get why you know why the OHL would want to have it you know it it keeps them good players down you know hey if you're not going to use our best players then you got to give them back to us in my opinion i think that it should be the player's decision absolutely the player should be able to say well if you're gonna if you're not going to if you're not gonna like have me come up that's fine i get to choose where i want to go do i want to go to the back to juniors like if i feel like i'm better suited for juniors then i'll go back and if i don't i want to go to the ahl they should be able to go to the ahl uh, I I just think that it's I understand that it's contractual, but it's it's a it is probably the NH one of the NHL's stupidest things that they've done because 
for development. Imagine in Major League Baseball drafting a guy first overall and going, you know what, we don't want to, we're not ready for this pitcher to be in the major leagues. But, oh, we have to, we have to send him back to college. We can't, like, well, at that point, usually they're either, I know the way that baseball works is a little different, but it's like, what's the equivalent? We have to send him back to high school <laughs> to play? That's kind of what it is. Like, yeah, yeah. You, oh, you can't send him to AAA. You got to send him to a lower league. That's ridiculous. Like, you, you don't do it in any other sport. I mean, there's there's not a farm league really in football or in, but anyways, it just it's silly. And uh, Shane Wright probably should just be in the AHL next year, uh, which is what the Montreal Canadiens could do with uh, Slavkowski. But, right. but you can't do that with Wright because he played in the OHL. Uh, seems dumb. Uh, but I digress. Uh <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll keep talking about the Seattle Kraken, uh, which hey, if they decide to go Shane Wright and just say screw it, um, I'm here for it. It'll make them more watchable in my mind. It'll make it interesting to see. Yep, I agree. I'm I letting you they, talk now because I just blab. Yeah. For... <laughs> I mean, listen, they've they've got a, a a plethora of of quality wingers. I think between you know their newly acquired Berkowski, they've got Eberle Bjorkstrand, who they got for basically nothing. Uh, Jared McCann, Brandon Tenev, Jaden Schwartz. They've got a lot of really good wingers. And so I think, you know, for a guy like Shane Wright, especially, you can you can really put him with a quality guy on each side who I think can really help help with his development. So, um, you know, I'm hoping that they bring him up. And, and you know, on the back end, right, they they don't have any standout defensemen that I think, you know, when you look at this, this group of six here and you say, okay, this is going to be a group that can really – go deep, right? That that's going to produce for us. I don't think anybody's really there. Yeah, but they've got a couple, three, four guys like Alexiak right. and Dunn and, and Larson. Yeah. They're maybe a two on a, on an OKT, but yeah, no, definitely no number ones. Uh, you're, you're, you're pushing. I mean, they have top four defensemen, but just no number ones. Right. Absolutely. I, you know what I'm interested to see more than anything else. I think for the season is does Philip Grubauer get back to form, right? Yeah. hundred percent. And, and yeah. Drager. Yeah, I mean, Dreger's obviously going to start the season on on IR, on IR, and that's why they brought in Martin Jones. And so, um, you know, Jones, I think, is going to be a fine backup for them, you know, to put in 15, 20-ish games, whatever it may be. And I think that's that's probably a good thing because now Chris Dreger can come in, he can play 20 games, and you don't have to play Philip Grubauer 60 games, right? You can put him in for 45, maybe 50 games and give him a look, and then you also give Chris Dreger a look, too, an opportunity to get healthy, so... Um, yeah, he'll be back know, in. I think it was something like February or or March or something. You know, late in the season. Okay. Yeah. And I, I know, think it was a seven to nine month ACL injury that he got in end of May. Okay. So yeah. you know, whenever that that six sets, yeah, that's that's like February. Maybe you know, maybe he misses the whole season, but you got to think he's going to push to try and make it back before the end of the year. Yeah, you sure hope so, right? Because I think, you know, with good goaltending, this team can be competitive, right? They they might not win the division. They might not even make the playoffs. But I think this team can still compete. They can still go out there and be an entertaining team to watch, right? That's going to give you a good battle night in and night out, regardless how they finish in the standings. And uh, that's ultimately what you want, I think, for a Seattle team, because you want to see them take that next step in their development, especially with a lot of these younger guys, like I mentioned with Matty Beneers here. Um, you hope that somebody, you know, rears their head as a leader too, because I'd like to see them put a C on somebody this year too. 
uh, with Mark Giordano gone now. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, but yeah, to me, it's it's it starts with Philip Grubauer yeah. getting back to form. Hundred percent. You got to expect. Uh, you know, the year before was uh, was really one of his best years at nine twenty two save percentage, uh, and then he goes to an eight eight nine. Obviously, much of that was the team in front of him. But he he also he was just he wasn't there. Uh, yeah. I, I, I got to think that he regretted signing there. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way that his, the way his demeanor showed through, through that season. It just seemed like he didn't, he, you know, he, he Lost regretted. The confidence. Yeah. And, uh, you gotta be, I, you gotta think that he went, Oh, I could, if I just took $5 million instead of 5.9, yep. I would have a Stanley cup right now. Instead, I'm on the, one of the worst teams in the league. <laughs> and and had one of the worst seasons with had the worst season of my career. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to make a? We should do a top ten list on like worst hindsight. <laughs> yeah, biggest <laughs> hindsight moves. <laughs> that would be fun. Uh, we'll, we'll have to do that sometime. Uh, oh, well, give me your your floor and your ceiling for the Seattle Kraken. Yeah, um, you know the floor again. I think is finishing at the bottom of this division. Um, but you know, that's not necessarily saying that that's a bad thing either, because I think what this team really wants to look to do is to balance out that goals for and goals against, and maybe make that more closer to, uh, you know, maybe a negative 10, 15, something like that, I think is what would really look good for this team. Um, and then as far as the ceiling is concerned, it's not necessarily making the playoffs because there's no, I don't think there's any chance they're making the playoffs, but I think it's maybe in that seven, six spot, maybe you hop a team like San Jose or Anaheim. And you just take that next step where a lot of these younger guys, like I mentioned, Shane Wright, Matty Beneers, where they really elevate themselves and, you know, take that next step to towards being that amazing one, two punch. I think, you know, four or five years from now, they really could be. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I kind of echo that, you know, I'll say they're, of course their floor we is last in the league, probably, you know, that, that bottom bottom. Well, maybe, maybe not further than Arizona, but, uh, certainly one of the bottom play- teams in the league, definitely the last place team in the division. But my difference would be that their their ceiling, I'm just going to give it amount of wins. Uh, okay. I think their their floor is probably in the same vein of where they finish right around 25, 25 wins for the year. Uh, and I think probably their ceiling is about 35, which, yeah, if they won 35 games, that would have put them ahead of San Jose uh, this last year, albeit San Jose and Anaheim both had a lot of overtime losses uh, and shootout losses, 14 and 13. So uh, I don't know points-wise where that would have ultimately dropped Seattle 15 and it would have given them an extra eight wins, 16 points. I would have put them at 76 points. So that would tie them for the bottom. So I, I think that's probably that's probably about right. You know, uh, an eight-win an eight win swing uh, for the Seattle crack. And I can see them winning eight more games than they did last year. And uh, I can also see them doing about the same. So I think that's where I'd stand on them. But I am more interested in them this year than I was last year. Because yep, they're absolutely. actually, they might score some goals and they have players that I want to watch. Whereas last year, I just did not. I, I'm not, you aren't going to get me interested in the game by telling me that I get to watch Yanni Gordon, Jonas Donskoy. Right. Be, 
It's fine. When Jared McCann is your highest scoring player, that's that's yeah. a problem. Yeah, exactly. Um, maybe we see Eberly, you know, kind of get back to uh, get back to where we know he can be. I know he he kind of had a. 44 points, 21 goals. I, I think that he's better than that. So we'll see if he can get back to, you know, that 25 goal mark, maybe 50 points. If, uh, if he's playing with good old Ben years all year long. Mm. Um, okay. Well, let's go to what team did I say was next? I said that it was the Vegas golden Knights. Let's do it. Um, I, my biggest question is what kind of impact does Jack Eichel have on this team for a full season? Yeah, well, rumor, or I shouldn't say rumor, news came out today uh, that they're expecting Mark Stone to be ready for camp. So that is amazing news because when you do get a Jack Eichel that has a quality line mate, right, that was the problem last year. He just didn't have line mates, and you get a full season, a full camp with this guy because um, we know that Marsha Show, Riley Smith, Carlson, they're, that's going to be their number two line there. And so when you get a, a full season of Mark Stone and Jack Eichel now, um, boy, that's that's going to be fun to watch because now, now not only do you have the ability to you know put Chandler Stevenson on that line, or you could move him down to a third line center spot. You got Phil Kessel, who's not a bad setup man. So Eichel's got guys with talent around him for a full season now. I think this is going to be fun to watch, and I think Eichel's going to play with a little chip on his shoulder because. Listen, I'm sure he's sick of missing the playoffs, right? I mean, with when he was with Buffalo, it never happened. And he comes to a Vegas team where he's expected to vault this team into Stanley Cup contention. Now you miss the playoffs and you're you're looked at as being like, oh, frick, well, you didn't do enough, right? And I don't put any blame on Jack Eichel for the way they finished last year. Um, but now you, you come in with a little chip on your shoulder saying, you know what? We lost, you know, Robin Leonard for the season. Everybody's got their doubts about us. Are we going to make it? Everybody else is getting better around us. Frick, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to torch some guys up here. I'm going to put up 100 points. Like that would be my mindset if I'm Jack Eichel. And I hope, I hope he he brings it this year because if you get a full two ways, you know, winger Mark Stone who can really play some good defensive hockey and and basically put up a point per game alongside Jack Eichel, I think the sky's the limit. Yeah, I, I guess maybe the next question is then who replaces Max Pacioretty? Because he's someone who was you you could count on him for thirty plus goals every year, and uh, I know he was hurt last year, which was definitely a part of why Vegas struggled so much because he wasn't healthy. But who who can come in and replace his goals? You know, uh, is it Phil Kessel? Does he kind of see a resurgence in his goal scoring, uh, or do you just kind of get it by committee? Do you get Riley and Marcia? So uh, maybe William Carlson is able to, you know. Get back to his, you know, he, he had 43, 24, 15, 14, 12. Like he's really, every year of that contract, he has dropped in goals scored. Now, granted, I know some of that was, you know, fewer games, but still the pace that he was scoring at was far fewer than where he had been at before. His points are down every single year as well. Uh, but he had, it, I, He's. You got to think that maybe this is the year where either he is he going to find himself here. Like he's got he's got to do something because I think if he has another down year, you've got to look at look at him as being somebody who uh, the Vegas Golden Knights do their best to try and trade. 
Yeah, I I mean, honestly, I think this is going to be a replace Max's goals by committee sort of thing. Now, I do think, you know, when you get a full season of Jack Eichel, right, he had, what, 15 goals, 14 goals last season in 34 games. I think he's more than capable of being a 35-goal scorer for this team. Uh, same thing with, with Mark Stone, right? He only got in for 37 games. He got nine goals. So I think, you know, a full season of him being healthy, you could get 25 to 30 goals out of him. I, that w- I wouldn't put it past him. Um, and then, you know, if you want to look at maybe somebody younger, right, that might step up, take that next step, I would look at a guy like Nicholas Roy. I think he's still young enough. He's still developing a little bit. And I think signing that new deal here, uh, that extension at three mil a season, I think at, you know, putting up 39 points last season, I think he could potentially find an opportunity to play with, uh, you know, he could potentially slide into that top line if maybe you don't want to put Phil Kessel up there or Chandler Stevenson, or he could potentially slot in, you know, on that third line spot with a guy like Phil Kessel and have somebody who's dishing the puck to him really nice because, Listen, I mean, even at his age, Phil Kessel can still dish it oh, and sure. still hand out assists. So their, you get an pow- opportunity. their power play is getting better just because he's on it. Absolutely. And so if you get an opportunity to play on the opposite wing of a guy like Kessel, I think your production is only going to go up and you're going to score a few more goals. So to me, I look at a guy like Nick Roy and, and you know, other guys staying healthy for the year to, to make up that lost production. Okay. Yeah. I, obviously, the biggest questions for the, the Golden Knights aren't going to come in the the – you know, can they score some goals? I think if they're healthy, they'll score goals. Uh, it's going to be, can they keep them out of the net? Because the the goalies that they're going to have defending that net are all three incredibly inexperienced in terms of being a starting goalie. I would say the only one who you could even allude to, I mean, no, none of them are starting goalie. I mean, maybe <laughs> at one point, Aiden Hill, there was a point where you thought, oh, could he be the starter in Arizona? And uh, and it just kind of never happened. Um, obviously, Laurent Brossois has spent his entire career as a backup, and then Logan Thompson has played all but you know, 20 games in the NHL. So who do you think takes the – who takes the starting job first off? And then is it going to be good enough throughout an 82-game season with these three players? Yeah, I think initially with Lorraine Boursois being on IR to start the season, I think this team's going to look for Aiden Hill to grab it and, and go with it, right? He's on a contract year. He's been playing with some mediocre to poor teams in Arizona and San Jose, and you know he's looking for that opportunity to be on a, on a winner and say, hey, you know what? I deserve a big contract. I deserve an opportunity to be a number one guy. Now, you know, obviously Vegas isn't going to go ahead and hand him a contract contract extension. I think they expect him to – either be a backup moving forward for them, you know, or potentially he'll, you know, vault himself into that starter conversation, much like maybe, you know, a Gorgiev has, um, and then go get a contract elsewhere. But for me, I think Aiden Hill's the guy to start the year, but as the year moves on, I think this is going to be a by committee sort of thing. Um, you know, when they're just going to go with who's ever hot, right. Whether that's Logan Thompson, Lorraine Bressois or Aiden Hill, I think they'll just ride the hot hand and, and, uh, you know, see where it takes him. But obviously, I think as, you know, a goaltender being in a contract year, I think Aiden Hill has the best opportunity in my mind to be the number one guy here. Yeah, I my my question is, you know, because Logan Thompson is waiver exempt, uh, there's a chance that, you know, maybe he's the odd man out just because of that, because they can send him down. And uh, that makes it the easy decision, assuming that all things are equal. Um but 
yeah, I mean, that's the that's going to be the, the biggest question in camp is that goaltending situation. I mean, you there there really is nothing more important for this team. I think you they'll figure out the rest, but it's going to be that goaltending. And uh, I I guess I want to know. Do you think that this that was last year just a weird blip on the radar, or did we actually just see this this whole team fall apart and? And it was like it's more systemic than just what we saw last year. Yeah, I think assuming they don't go out and start dealing for the new newest shiny toy on the market, um, again, I think if they can get some stability as far as a roster is concerned, I think last year's a blimp, right? They had a lot of injuries, guys in and out of the lineup, no consistency. And so when you get a full year of Jack Eichel and under Bruce Cassidy, who I really like as a head coach, I think he's going to push these guys and he's not the player's coach, right? He's not that super friendly, you know, Gerard Gallant they had here to start out their tenure as an organization. But I think they, they have a guy in here who knows how to win, who's going to push these guys and bring in structure. Um, as long as they can get good goaltending, I think this team is poised to be towards the top of this division. I think they have enough talent on paper on that back end between Shea Theodore, Petrangelo, Martinez, and the guys they have up front. They, they've got enough firepower to get it done. What if Shea Weber was like, oh, actually, I'm going to come back? <laughs> oh, that would just throw a wrench in everything. I mean, with the hell TIR money there, but that yeah, would be fantastic. Yeah. That would be funny. I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's done. Um, I think that's why they why they have a contract. Right. Um, yeah, I, I'll just I'll say my uh, my ceiling and floor because I think it's it's it goes with that conversation that I I think that their floor they've just shown us what their floor is. That in a terrible, terrible season, I think we would call last season just a train wreck for this team. Uh, they still put up 43 wins and 94 points. So I think this is the basement, the the floor for this team is a 94 point season. Uh, ceiling, they win the division, and at, I mean, I I have no reason to believe that they can't win a round. That goaltending, now they could go out and trade for an, a, a different goaltender, a starting goalie, and suddenly this conversation is moot because you know, they bring in a good goalie. Uh, I don't think any of the goalies that they have are Stanley Cup winning goalies. Uh, you know, Do they go out and try to get Varlamov, Jonathan Quick, uh, I... I Jonathan Bernier even would be probably better than what they have if he's healthy. Uh, that that's that would change the conversation. But for me, the ceiling is a second round exit because I don't think that they can keep the puck out of the net enough and score enough to keep up with Calgary or Edmonton or like these these other teams in this division. Beyond even beyond that, uh, keeping up with Colorado or St. Louis, Minnesota, I just don't. I don't know that I see it. So I'm saying a second round exit for the Vegas Golden Knights is their ceiling with okay. their current goaltending situation. Yeah, I I actually have to agree with you on this one. I think yeah, goaltending is the biggest fear for me. I mean, as I'm sure it is for most Vegas fans because, uh, you know, if you can't find stability in net, especially with a new coach probably trying to bring in a whole new system here for this team and more structure, if they can't gel and you can't find stability in net and now your confidence is wavering every night and you're just – you know, you're, you're afraid to, to pinch in a little bit more or, or you know, you're, you're a couple feet back instead of up on that blue line maybe where you should be. Now, 
you know, again, I, I, I could see them missing the playoffs again. Right. And, you know, again, I think they'll still be competitive and, you know, get close, but to me, their, their basement is going to be missing. Now I'm with you too. Second round, I think is where the ceiling is for me as well, because, you know, again, I just don't trust that goaltending to, to put you over the hump. Now I know, you know, again, we saw it with, with Colorado where really Kemper didn't steal any games. He didn't steal any series. Um, you know, and they still managed to go out and win the cup because yeah, Colorado just, is a better team than this team is. Absolutely, and that's that's where I'm getting is they're just much better structurally and internally as far as talent is concerned. So, um, you know, again, I, I think they could get passed around without getting any goaltending. Um, but if they get past, you know, if they have to come up against an Edmonton or Calgary in the second round, that's where I uh, get a little squeamish because I don't know if it's gonna. If it's going to go so well, if they got to play, you know, a team like that in the second round. Okay, there's the Vegas Golden Knights. We're going to close out the show with the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, last season, Vancouver finished forty thirty and twelve with ninety two points for fifth in the Pacific. They missed the playoffs by five points. They made a beauty of a run at the end of the year there uh, with Bruce Boudreaux coming in. They were very far out of it, and he he really helped to turn this team around. Uh, salvaged a few seasons and uh, I think the biggest bright spot well of course was JT Miller with his 99 points in 80 games 32 goals uh, for a career high his previous career high was 72 points so uh, he ends up signing an eight year deal or not I don't think it was a seven year deal uh, for eight million dollars a season 56 million bucks uh, it's weird to me because the Vancouver Canucks were like, yeah, we want cap flexibility. And then they signed, re-signed JT Miller. They, you know, they re-signed Brock Besser. They really didn't do anything to give them flexibility with the salary cap when they did have the opportunity to do so. So I guess my, I, I'm not sure what to make of this team, to be honest. I think they're better. They also bring in Ilya Mikheyev from the from the Leafs via free agency, who was fantastic shorthand. I think he led the league in shorthanded goals and a great penalty killer. Uh, definitely a, could be a twenty goal scorer for the Canucks. I'm just not sure what this Canucks team is or like what they're building towards. Uh, I guess we're saying that last year was a an anomaly and that they should have been better. Yeah, you hope so, right? I mean, listen, under Boost Brodro. The Canucks were 32 wins and 15 losses with, you know, 10 OT losses for a 649 point percentage. And if you look at this division, that kind of percentage puts you right at second place in front of Edmonton. Now, can they keep that up through, you know, an entire 82 game season? Absolutely not. I think there's going to be a little drop off. Um, you know, teams will get wise to what you're doing. And, um, you know, I think, you know, the, the, the best part about having Boost Boudreaux there was, you know, you kind of saw you know, Pedersen and Besser get a little bit better. And, um, you know, it makes me wonder because you, you hear the talk about, you know, Bo Horvat wanting to stay there for, for life. He wants to be a Canuck for life. And uh, they're working on an extension. It's to me, right. When you mentioned that cat flexibility, that's the first thing I thought of is how are they going to squeeze him in there? And they're trying to figure out their identity, right? They, you know, at, at one point last year, I thought, okay, cool. It's time to tear it down, rebuild. Uh, that's probably where they're going to end up going with it. You know, they got rid of Travis green. They bring in, you know, new personnel here. And so, yeah, they're going to go through a rebuild at some point. Um, but then they go out and they hand out extensions to, you know, to, to Besser. They give JT Miller a ton of money and, and bring in some, some free agents here. So 
clearly they're not interested in rebuilding and going scorched earth like Chicago, but they don't have much money and they got to get Bo Horvat re-signed, who I, I think is a fantastic number two shutdown center. Um, but where the money is going to come from, I have no idea because you got dead weight on the back end as far as I'm concerned between you know OEL and Ty- Tyler Myers taking up a bunch of money where you know maybe he sh- they shouldn't. And I will say uh, that Oliver Ekman Larson. Of course, he's not playing up to his his seven million dollar contract, um, which, by the way, he's actually making ten point five million dollars this year in terms of Ooh. actual dollars. He'll do that this year and next year. Uh, but I'll say, I mean, he he had a pretty good year. Uh, him and Tyler Myers last year both played well defensively. I mean, both were I mean, Tyler Myers. Not that I'm selling everything to plus minus, but a plus fifteen. Uh, he he had an okay year. Uh, he he wasn't, I'll say, the problem in Vancouver. So I I think, you know, despite them being overpaid, I think you can you can kind of go well. Yes, they are overpaid. That's thirteen point two six million dollars. That should probably be more like six, right? Like if Oliver Ekman Larson was making four million dollars a year. Everyone would be like, okay, this isn't so bad. This is fine. Right, uh, and it, it's much more difficult when you have a guy like Quinn Hughes and what he brings to the table for only six hundred grand more a year. So, well, sure, sure, but I mean yeah. that that was a that's his entry level deal, you know, signing out of his entry level deal, and this is a this was Ekman Larson's UFA deal. He also signed it with Arizona, and Arizona was desperate to keep him. Right, like oh, they needed to keep someone. And uh, and it was him, so he got a kind of a sweetheart deal. But uh, but he also dropped off, I mean, considerably from where his pace was when he signed that deal. Uh, I mean, he was a forty-four point player, fourteen goals for a defenseman, which is fantastic. And then he he really he's only had thirty points since then. So uh, it's th- that's really where your your issues are uh, with Vancouver. I, I'm wondering what's your over under on 65 games for Thatcher Demko. <laughs> I was literally about to bring that up because, listen, I know last year with your South Polak, you didn't want to play him because you had that bonus at some point, and they were having, like you said, cap flexibility issues, and then eventually they just gave in, and uh, now they have to deal with that that money. But boy, I think Spencer Martin is a is a quality goaltender. Um, I think he's going to be a good backup for this team for a while. And I mean, you saw it in a short little burst, six games, 950 save percentage. Now that's not going to be the numbers he puts up again this year. I mean, yes, it's it just, will. <laughs> I, I think as a Vancouver fan, number one overall so. fantasy pick, Spencer. Martin. <laughs> but I mean, honestly, listen, between, between what you have there and you have Michael DiPietro, who can still be a quality goaltender backup as well. Um, uh, you know, I think you're going to see a lot more opportunity for these two guys to get in the mix a little bit more and give Thatcher Demko some relief. So I think probably you're looking at 58, 57 games, I think, for Thatcher Demko this okay. year. Because, listen, you, 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 as a Vancouver fan, I think you expect to be pushing for a playoff spot. And I think if you can keep him a little bit more well-rested uh, and not have to go 65 games again this year, that would be ideal for the Canucks. Yeah, I agree. Now, granted, if you are in the thick of things and down the stretch, you're just going to play him as much as he can right. handle. Yeah, if uh, you're right on the bubble there and you got to get in, absolutely. Yeah. Um, with this forward group, you know, you gotta you gotta really their top nine is really quite good <laughs> for uh, 
it, especially in comparison to the rest of this division where, you know, you look up and down the division and there's they're they're not as top heavy as some other team. Like they don't have the high end talent that, you know, I'm I'm not gonna say that anyone on Vancouver is going to put up the same points that Huberto is putting up or McDavid, by McDavid or Dreisaitl by any means. Uh, Vegas has some, you know, Eichel and Stone. and I. But when I look at Vancouver, I see a team with a lot of depth in their top nine. Like they, I think they should be able to get some solid goal, ten, goal, goal scoring throughout their lineup. When you consider that, yeah, Mikheyev might, he might be between that second and third line. He put up 21 goals last year and can score bunches on sh- uh, shorthand. Like I said, he can kill penalties. You've got Tanner Pearson, who I I don't know that they've really found a sweet spot for, uh, for Tanner Pearson here until late last year. He really started coming on and uh, ended up putting up, scoring 14 goals in 68 games. So I, I think he's someone who could score some goals for them and, the other guy that came in through that Ekman Larson trade, uh, Connor Garland, fifty-two points, uh, had a really nice year. I mean, that was his, his career high. You wonder, is he done? Like, is is that his ceiling, or does he have even more to it? And they, I mean, I guess you know everyone's going to look at JT Miller and wonder, can he put up a hundred points, basically a hundred points again, um, or was that an anomaly? But uh, this team could very well score goals down like throughout the season because Bruce Boudreaux is going to continue doing what he did and that was open everything up kind of play that same style that the Rangers played where they go we've got one of the best goalies in the world back there let's just let him do his job and we'll do ours yeah yeah absolutely and I think if you're if you're any team in the league and you had to say you know what my top line is going to be JT Miller Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser you're not upset about that at all right I would absolutely go into the season as my number one line on any team in this league. So, and give them a fighting chance to win every night. Now, another addition that we, we haven't even mentioned yet that I think is going to, you know, have to find, I, I hope much like Tanner Pearson, they can figure out a good spot for him and he gels well with somebody uh, is Andre Kuzmensko from the KHL. I mean, this guy is supposed to be dynamite from what I hear. I mean, he put up 53 points in 45 games for the KHL, uh, you know, for the St. Petersburg team there and I mean he was just again dynamite in the playoffs he's just been nothing but a stud in the KHL and so um, at 26 years old he's got jets and he knows how to score so he could be somebody who can come in and play on your second pair or your second line with you know gosh you know Borhor Hovat and Connor Garland on the other side and, and really light it up and then give Tanner Pearson an opportunity maybe on the opposite wing too but um, yeah, but let- man they they got some dangerous players up, up top there I don't want to say that he's going to be the same, but Kirill Kaprizov in his final season in the KHL had 62 points, 33 goals in 57 games. And uh, Kuzmenko not too far off that at 53 points in 45 games and 20 goals. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, everything is... It can translate differently, but if there's a chance that he's even 80% of what Kirill Kaprizov is, Vancouver might just have a secret weapon. Like there's, there is a true, you can win rookie of the year at 26. Yeah. It's 27 is when you can't, right? Yeah. Panarin won it at 26. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> Kuzmenko may be a sleeper for Calder trophy. 
Absolutely. And not only that, but he's also he's on a one year deal, so he knows right. and I'm sure his agent is whispering, you know what, go out there and light it up and you'll get paid like Kirill the Thrill. Yep. Cash yep. in. Hundred percent. And hey, it might not be with Vancouver, but he maybe gets the opportunity to play with Pedersen or Bo Horvat or JT Miller. Like he's uh, yeah, that that move could pay massive dividends for the Canucks, and I, I think it's it, there's the advantage of being uh, you know, being a team that can offer that type of of opportunity into their top six. Not a lot of really good teams have like yeah, just jump into our top six, no big deal, <laughs> and <Right. laughs> uh, we'll we'll see what what he can do to change. You know, if he can do anything close to what Kirill Kaprizov did for the Minnesota Wild and the Vancouver Canucks are going to be very, very happy. Uh, well, with that said, should we do our uh, our floor and ceiling for the Canucks and get out of here? Let's do it. Uh, you go first. All right. Yeah, as I want a copy as, off of you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, look, as far as a floor goes for this team, I think they're going to be similar, similar to Vegas where I think they're pushing for wild card spots uh, and just missing out. I think um, you know, I, I, I don't think they finish towards the bottom of this division at all. I, I think they're going to be very competitive under Bruce a full season and, and have an opportunity to really just let loose and, and you know, play a little bit looser. Um, and then as far as the ceiling is concerned, I think this is, you know, again, similar to Vegas where I think they could be a second-round exit. I think that, you know, again, there's going to be some growing pains, right, and that comes with winning. And, you know, we've seen that with teams like Toronto – um, you know, they've got to learn how to win first and or got to learn how to lose first before they start winning. And hopefully Toronto does that this year. But, um, you know, similar to Edmonton, they just couldn't get over that hump for a while. And I think now they, you know, they've they've managed to do so. And so who knows where they go from here. But Vancouver similar. I think, you know, a lot of these younger guys like Besser and Pedersen, who, you know, really don't have too much of a taste of playoff success. Um, they'll get in. And I think, you know, depending on who they match up, whether it's you know, LA or, you know, maybe, uh, you know, another team in the, in the central here. Uh, you know, I think they have a good opportunity getting past that first round, but when you get in that second round and you got to go against those more experienced teams like Edmonton or maybe a team from the central, like St. Louis, I just don't, don't really see them getting past that, that next step. Okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, a playoff berth would be similar to what Los Angeles, I think, experienced this past, this last year. Going okay, all right, sweet, we got in. Like we can build off of this, right? So, yep, uh, I agree that that ceiling is like let's contend for the playoffs. I I'll say their ceiling is a bubble playoff team. Uh, they might get in, they might not. They'll be right like it's the eight nine battle kind of vibe. Uh, Maybe they're battling for third place in the division because the Central still is just so good, and they might have five teams make it again. But I think that's less likely this next year, where I think you'll go back probably to a four four team split between uh, the two divisions. But uh, yeah, I think Vancouver's ceiling is definitely a, a playoff bubble team and and a strong playoff contender. Uh, I with that Thatcher Demko back there, you know, there, there's always they'll always be in the mix. Uh, and they've got plenty of talent up front. Um, their floor, though, I see, you know I can see a situation where really the beginning of last year was was a bigger issue than we knew. And yeah, Bruce Boudreaux came in, had a great end of the year. There was nothing to play for, and they come in this next year and they have uh, some of the same issues, and things turn on them quick, and they end up you know in that. Uh, 
35 to 40 win kind of category where it's just not enough to get you into the playoffs and you're not really on the bubble. You're, you know, you're far enough out of it where you go, we didn't, we never really were in it. We just made it look like we were. Um, so I'd say that's, that's the floor for me for Vancouver. They're, they're, they're too good to be a team that's in the bottom. Sure. But maybe not good enough to make the playoffs, <laughs> which is where everyone hates to be, right? It's the worst, <laughs> worst place to be. So, uh, anyways, this, well, this, this division will be a lot of fun because there are a lot of teams that think they can make the playoffs in this division. So that, that'll make it a lot of fun. Oh, uh, we'll do, uh, Pacific division round two, uh, next show. And you can keep your eye out for that until then, you know, go back, listen to th- all three parts of the metropolitan division preview. And, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at OT hockey talk, Justin, Have a great rest of your night, and to our listeners, we'll talk to you soon.